So tonight we're looking in particular at the doctrine of providence here in Lord's Day 10 with the question 27 and question 28 and want to show something of that doctrine in particular focusing on uh, what it says in the answer to 28 uh, that we may be patient in adversity and to highlight that here from Job 1 uh, verses 20 to 22. And just by way of coming to the text with the appropriate context, uh, we meet this person named Job in the text that we're familiar with most likely, but just to, to jog our memories, if you look up at the first eight verses of that first chapter, we see uh, that Job is righteous and he's blessed. He's blessed in terms of his family, he's blessed in terms of his possessions, to such an extent that uh, the Lord says in verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Job, in, in many ways, is this model believer, this one that the Lord looks out over the the earth as the angels are coming in for this particular day in the heavens we have at least i have lots of questions about what exactly is going on you know are these regular days or how often does this occur but to remain focused on what we're saying that job is his blameless man he's this one that the lord looks out and considers and he's seen as this one that stands apart from his peers much like noah And we see it laid out for us the many ways in which he is blameless. We see in the first eight verses here, verse 5, that he acts as a priest on behalf of his children, sacrificing for them, burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually that he's blameless in terms of caring for his family, of leading them in the way that they should go, and making provision for them, and showing such care and concern for their spiritual state that he actually provides sacrifices just in case they had sinned in some internal sort of manner. He's a righteous man. He's blameless. He's blessed in all of his endeavors. You know, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. That he's blessed in all these ways such that we can truly say he's unlike anyone that was on the earth at that time. And yet, here we find the great difficulty of the verses that we'll be dealing with, namely, that this idyllic sort of start, Uh, where we see the great blessings of Job and of his righteousness rehearsed for us, that we might understand who he is, and also to better bring to bear uh, the the terrible events that come to pass here in the next series of verses. Notice what is said in verses 9 to 12. Satan answered, Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. See that the great 
issue that's going to take place here and the rest of the of the book, namely of this great testing and sifting, as it were, of Job and of his faith, answering the attack that Satan has made concerning him, more or less saying that, of course he blesses the Lord. He has everything that he could ever want. He has as many children as he could want. They, they enjoy being together. Uh, he has as many uh, physical possessions as one single person could possibly want. He's blessed in every way, and the Lord has made a hedge about him. And so we see that the Lord here grants uh, to Satan this sort of challenge to do all that he would in terms of power, verse 12, but not to lay a hand on him. And in verses 13 to 19, Satan removes all things from Job outside of his person. His children are killed in an instant. His livestock are removed in an instant. All of his earthly possessions are removed in an instant. Rehearsed for us in verses 13 to 19 of messenger after messenger coming and informing him of this great disaster that has fallen upon him. This is the context of Job 1, 20 to 22, which makes it all the more striking regarding what we hear about the, the way of the Lord in dealing with his people and of the appropriate response on our behalf as we see the Lord's providential care for us worked out even in those difficult circumstances that oftentimes come to pass in our lives. Notice what Job responds to after all that has been said. Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head And he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. We see that Job here rightly identifies that what has come to pass has not come to pass because God was asleep at the wheel, has not come to pass because the Lord somehow is not upholding and governing all things. It has not come to pass by chance or by sheer dumb bad luck, but rather that what has occurred here is the very activity of the Lord and of the Lord's acting in his very life. We'll see that laid out for us as we consider the verses in closer detail and of three particular aspects of Job's response regarding this providential activity of the Lord our God. First, we see that Job deals honestly with the providences that have come to pass on him. If you notice in verse 20, Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. We see he responds in what we might think of as a as an appropriate manner. Uh, it would be very uh, disturbing or shocking or incongruous if, if Job uh, heard these things and, and had a sort of a party or some sort of celebration that would occur after hearing all these things, and he's celebrating at this great loss. Uh, that would be uh, not dealing in an honest sort of manner, but he actually responds accordingly. He's grieving openly at the death of his children, and all of his earthly possessions, seen in the phrase here of tore his robe and shaved his head. This sort of reaction that we have our own ways of doing this, where 
if we have the, the death of a loved one or some great tragic loss, uh, we care a little less about how we look in the mirror. Uh, we might not wear things that exactly match or, or go about our life in the same way, that we have a sort of visible sense and picture that everything is not quite all right, uh, that we are, in many ways, grieving. Uh, we see the same on an inverse sort of way of when we're celebrating, there's this sort of positive response where we are, uh, we might say, more put together or more energetic in that particular way. And that's important to notice here, uh, for we learn that uh, grief and grieving are appropriate responses to loss, uh, that they're appropriate responses to loss, and that it is in this sense that it's okay to to do these things, to even tear his robe and to shave his head as his outward sign of what is going on internally regarding the loss of his children. Unless we want to look over at Joel chapter 2 here briefly to contrast this with what oftentimes is considered in the scriptures regarding uh, hypocrites who do something similar but for a very different sort of effect. Uh, There's a type of grief which is not done in terms of being genuine or being that which is uh, an actual response to something inward where we're, we're grieving for some sort of theater or for some sort of manipulative effect or this mere external sort of rending of our of our garments and not our hearts. If you look at Joel chapter 2, verse 12, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. Joel here is dealing with this rending of the heart and not garments and dealing with this sort of sincerity that is necessary in terms of grief in terms of adversity. And he's not in many ways condemning uh, this sort of actual grief that we see in Joel, Job chapter 1, but it's calling us to a true and sincere sort of grief when that comes to pass upon us in the, bad, in the difficult times, or we might say in the times of great loss that we have in that time, the sense that this comes from the hand of the Lord and it is appropriate for us to grieve and to even learn that external grief is permissible if it's not done for effect and that we could have that approach and understanding even of the providence of God, uh, that we do not need to respond or to, as it were, suppress uh, what's going on and and slap uh, a paint coat over it to paint the barn, as it were, Uh, but we can deal honestly with what is coming uh, before us. I think a lot of times the way that we view providence, it's probably autobiographical, is the sense of has more to do with the uh, Marcus Aurelius uh, in terms of Stoicism and his a picture of terms of what's going on of just not having any sort of grief, any sort of joy, just kind of making everything go down the middle sort of road, never going to one extreme or the other. And yet that's not what patience is, nor is it a response to providence, and that we're actually responding to what has gone on before us and dealing with that 
and honestly saying that these things have come to pass and coming to grips with that these things have come not by chance, not by bad luck, but by the very hand of God. And that we can even respond in terms of grief. If you look over at Romans chapter 12, passage that's very familiar to us, usually hear this in times of loss, perhaps at funerals. I want to highlight it now as we're considering the loss that Job is going through and of the appropriate nature of even grieving uh, for our own loss, but also grieving with uh, one another, and it's not some sort of theater. Romans 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There's this call even there to respond accordingly, and that it's, it's good and necessary to do that. It's a response to that providence that the Lord has brought into our lives, and we see that by way of example with Job, that he responds to the great losses that have come to him in the first 19 verses of the chapter from the very hand of the Lord by means of Satan, to have come to pass and that he grieves. It's that which is appropriate, that which is fitting, that which is permissible. Elsewhere we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, of a very similar sort of verse that's, again, very familiar to us. But notice of the role that grief plays even in our expectation of what is to come says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about all those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. We see here again of this end in terms of what is occurring, that with the doctrine of providence, when we believe that these things truly come from the hand of God, and we deal honestly with that situation, it allows us to be patient in adversity because we believe that these things have actually come from the hand of the Lord, and we respond accordingly, and that we respond, and even in our grief or in our joy, with the full expectation of the comfort of the Lord bringing this to the particular end of where we are going, where we are moving forward to to be with the Lord. And so in terms of providence, it's that which is a vital necessity to the Christian life, that we would be able to go through our own unique circumstances, whatever they may be, and come to them and, and see and consider, both in terms of those highs and of those lows, and that we might be able to say that this too comes from the hand of the Lord, and that we might respond with joy when appropriate, with grief when appropriate, and that we might come along and show love to one another as we go through the various stages of life, and as these things come to our hand at different times. And so we hear with Job in Job 1, verse 20, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. He deals with this honesty, with the situation, such that he rightly identifies that these things have come to pass, and he deals with them on face, many ways requiring a greater courage than to simply ignore them, 
to cast them off or to label them in some other way where we don't deal with them, but to, to look them in the eye, as it were, and to consider that these things come from the Lord. He has brought them into our life for a particular purpose, and we know, even as it says in Joel chapter 2, verse 13, that he is the Lord who is compassionate, who is kind, and who shows steadfast loving kindness towards his people. So in terms of this first point, we should all take stock of how we deal with adversity in terms of our own lives and asking ourselves, you know, are we honest when it comes to the adversity in our life? And by adversity, it don't necessarily mean, uh, you know, we're five minutes late for work because uh, we didn't get through the, the last red light, which uh, went red sooner than we thought, or, uh, you know, someone eats our our lunch, as it were, Uh, but by this real adversity where it comes to pass in this sort of uh, terrible loss of those things that Job held most dear in terms of his family, in terms of his livelihood, and of all that he had built up, although he was a blameless and a righteous man, and that he deals honestly with them. And so let us look to that and speak honestly with one another, and to consider that even in these great difficult times that come to pass. And nothing strange has happened here. It's only that which has come from the hand of the Lord. So let us, in that sense, appropriately assess what is going on in each of our lives, which leads me to my second point regarding providence, that we must assess what is going on in terms of the details of our lives as they come to pass. Job responds here, uh, knowing that all things come from the hand of our, of our Father who is in heaven, who loves us for Jesus' sake. And Job responds here as well, having seen that uh, these things do come from the Lord, dealing honestly with the loss. Now he assesses the circumstances before him. It's really important, isn't it? That he, these messengers have come to him. It's uh, a response is required. He's been told in rapid-fire succession that his children are dead, his livestock are gone, all that he has is gone. If you're anything like me, you like to kind of space those things out, uh, to have a little time to uh, recover from one or the other, but it's coming in rapid-fire. It's almost like this perfect storm, going from the idyllic start in the first eight verses to this, uh, everything is just destroyed, in a moment. And we see here of this assessment that he has, and it's remarkable in terms of what it shows us of an appropriate response to this great loss or to the providential activity of our Lord, even when it says, sometimes people say a hard providence or a difficult providence. And he responds here in verse 21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He appropriately assesses his own state. He showcases that we come into the world with nothing, and we leave the world with nothing. We can't take anything with us. Uh, We can't, uh, in that sense, really... uh, have any sort of say and and how that goes, but he highlights here that he's simply in that state that the Lord created him in, 
and that he brings that to pass. And that's important as he highlights what's come to pass regarding his loss, that nothing strange has happened here. Difficult, absolutely. A grief, certainly. A loss, absolutely. But nothing strange. Nothing that's different than what we see at the every time we see a loved one or someone we know on their deathbed go, that they take nothing with them. Uh, they go, as it were, alone through that door to the next life, whether to judgment or to salvation. So Job here rightly responds, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. And this is picked up elsewhere in the scriptures, if you'd like to look at Ecclesiastes with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, verse 13, There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt, when those riches were lost through a bad investment, and he had fathered a son. Then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life, which God has given him, for this is his reward. We see here that Solomon, in responding to the way that he's given himself to pursuing wisdom, highlights that it is a great evil that comes to pass when we do not live with this knowledge that we came naked from our mother's womb and we return naked in death, of accruing for ourselves with this false idea and belief that what we build for ourselves here in terms of, of wealth, in terms of possessions, and believing that we will come and that we will give those things to the next generation or to serve, uh, to store them up that we might use them in a way that is pleasing to us, uh, it's a great evil to not consider these things. And so when Job responds accordingly, he helps us understand that as it comes to providence, we will believe that those things that have been given to us are given to us by the Lord and that we should absolutely steward them, not suggesting we should be profligate, uh, make sure that we don't uh, have anything ever uh, saved up as if that was some way not trusting the providence of God, but rather to say that uh, we believe that uh, we are come naked from our mother's womb and naked we return, highlights that we appropriately assess and believe that the Lord provides everything for us and brings this to pass according to his will, as those who know our beginning and our end, that we might respond, which we'll look at here in a while, with this third point of worship, as Job does, regardless of the circumstances that we presently find ourselves in, whether the highs or the lows of life. For we must not live as those who do not know God. Looking over at Luke chapter 12, which we considered a year or two ago in Sunday morning, just by way of reminder, 
Luke 12, verse 18. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's the great evil that Ecclesiastes is speaking of. It's a great evil, we might say, because it could have certain sort of uh, horizontal negatives in the sense that we don't necessarily do what we should for our neighbor in terms of loving them as ourself, that we heap up wealth for ourself. But more importantly, the, the great loss, the great evil, would seem to be that which is vertical. Even as it says here, In verse 20, this very night your soul is required of you. That judgment comes, and that this one has nothing to save him from regarding his possessions, and he loses everything in that moment, going naked again as he came into the world. And so wrapping back around to Job chapter 1, when Job responds here to all that has come to pass, as that which has come to pass from the hand of the Lord. And he responds, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave away, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He has honestly considered the situation. He has assessed it and has come to the conclusion that the Lord has given him all these things. And now the Lord has taken away. Nothing has changed in terms of regarding what the Lord is doing outside of. He has been pleased to remove those things from him for this present time, but it does not change in any way uh, the response that Job gives. He grieves, absolutely. He's being honest, as we said, firstly. But he rightly assesses that this is the absolute end of the human person. And he responds with blessing. And so as we consider the way that we go through adversity, and as we assess the providences that come to pass in our life, we all have our own unique set of circumstances. And we consider them, and we look at them. It's necessary that we consider how it is that we would respond to those present ones, and that we would rightly deal with them, and that we would grieve when necessary, rejoice when necessary, And likewise, to ultimately look to the Lord as that one who has brought these things to pass in the way that has come to pass at this present moment in time. And that it comes from him, from him alone. In this way, we might say that we must respond accordingly. Look at Job 2, verse 9 with me. It says, his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. We see here this great picture of of our own hearts and our sinful inclinations regarding uh, how easy it is to respond in times of good, uh, to rejoice and say that these things have come from the hand of the Lord. 
And he's richly blessed. He is richly provided. He has given all these things, and we respond with great joy, and we should. Not denigrating that at all or trying to minimize that or say it's wrong. But we see here of this response of the one who does not appropriately respond or believe that these things have come to pass from the hand of the Lord with Job's wife. And the response instead being that, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In other words, if we've praised the Lord in the good times and accepted that as coming from his hand and we believe that he brings all things to pass according to the word of his power, there's nothing that can change that because it's done according to his immutable will. And we must also conclude that in the hard times, in the difficult times, in the times of loss and of grief, that these things too come from the hand of the Lord and that they are done according to his purpose and that he is good and compassionate and kind, the one to whom we rightly worship. And so we bless him, especially in the difficult times, as we look to that end and wait upon him to make known his salvation and of our vindication, whether in this life or in the life to come. If you look over at James chapter 1 with me, we see here that all things in this sense are that are good come from the Lord our God, such that we look from him. As you're turning there, James and the first chapter and Job in the first chapter have a lot of similarities regarding the, the hoped outcome. James having said that we should count this a great joy when we meet you know, trials of various kinds or uh, all sorts of different kinds of trials. You know, it's, uh, it's like Skittles, we taste the rainbow, that there's a sense of which we uh, look to the v- wide variety of adversity. And he responds towards the end of that first chapter, With this in verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among his creatures. We see that that good gift that has come to us of knowing the Lord and of belief, of salvation, is that which he has done such that we are these first fruits and we look to him for every good gift and we respond accordingly. But in Job 1, we learn something which is necessary for us to endure in those difficult days, in those difficult years, difficult seasons, that all things come from the hand of our Heavenly Father who loves us for the sake of Christ. And he uses these particular circumstances for our good that we must wait upon him for the further revelation of the mind of Christ, that we might trust him all the more and respond with great joy in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you look over at Romans chapter 8 with me, I'd like to highlight again a very common verse that we read, oftentimes preach on in terms of Lord's Day 10, dealing with providence, I want to look at it here in terms of what it's saying regarding uh, difficulties and how these things even work together for good. It's a great blessing for the Christian to know these things and to believe them. We'll look here shortly at our confession of faith, where for those who are outside of Christ, uh, there's no balm, as it were, to the trials of life. 
There's no comfort. There's no uh, hope for outcome that's good for them. And yet for the Christian, that is the case. Notice Romans 8, verse 28 with me, please. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever difficult circumstance comes to pass in our life, whether it be at the, the rapid-fire pace that Job sees in chapter 1, or whatever it might be in our own particular set of circumstances, there is nothing that might separate us from that purpose that the Lord has intended for us in Christ, for the good of our salvation that he works all things and that nothing will separate us from that, such that we might rightly respond to the providential care of the Lord in our life and assess it and say that, indeed, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because we can say that we know for certain that the Lord is bringing these things to their end. Our salvation and of going to be with him, and it works out, in this sense, to our good, even though we may not presently see it, even though those means that the Lord uses are difficult, are hard, are that which cause grief, and yet we might respond with faith. This is not true for those apart from Christ. They do not have the comfort that these things work out for their good. Rather, they have that certain picture, as it were, that these things will come to pass and be the weight that bears upon them on the judgment day when the books are open and what is written is the means by which they are judged and they are held accountable according to the law of God. There's no hope outside of Christ. And we find that in providence, that great, consideration and belief that we find so necessary as we come to our various difficult circumstances or in the times of great joy, that we would not be unmoored from the hope of Christ, who is our rock, who is our anchor in the veil. Finally, the 
Third point I want to consider is this providential worship, having seen that we must be honest, we must assess. Finally, we must worship. Notice at the end of verse 21, blessed be the name of the Lord. See, Job worships here in a very a particular sense that he worshiped the Lord in days of plenty at the beginning of the chapter in verse 5. And he responds here as well, uh, worshiping uh, the Lord again. In this way, we see the appropriate response is to praise him, to worship him in the midst of whatever circumstances we have in our life presently, the good, the bad, the easy, the difficult, the sweet, the bitter, whatever it might be, and that we might ask the Lord to give us that steadfastness which comes from him alone. That's what James is really telling us to ask the Lord for. And he uses at the end of James in James 5, Job as this example of what it would mean to patiently endure in the midst of trouble. James 5, verse 11. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. We can look to Job. We are called to by James 5, verse 11, and to consider him as this as this uh, exemplary person in terms of his endurance, that he's righteous, that he's blameless, that we might look to him and we learn uh, not that we uh, would uh, just see Job and stop, but we see the outcome of the Lord's dealings and how he dealt with Job and how he will deal with you and how he deals with me if you're called according to his purpose. That we might look to him and see the preservation that he finds in us, or pardon me, the preservation that he causes us to find in him. And in this way, we could then respond, blessed be the name of the Lord. For the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the good, the bad, we can respond and say that all these things have come from the hand of God, and that he intends them for our good. And we wait upon him to make known to us the way in which he is working them, to our advantage. If you look at the handout, question answer 28 with me, it asks, what advantage is it to us to know that God has created and by his providence does still uphold all things? That we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand, that without his will, they cannot so much as move. How do we respond to adversity, even as Job highlights it? Do we not also accept the adversity from the Lord? The implicit response being that we must receive that which comes from the Lord's hand, the good and the bad. By bad, I mean the difficult or that which is adverse. So what would be more necessary for us but to believe that even as the adverse comes to bear even in our own lives, that we have a great hope which is found in Christ and we can look to him who is orchestrating all things to the good of our salvation and that there is nowhere 
as it says in Deuteronomy 30, where the Lord will not find his people and bring them back to himself such that we can respond with worship and with a firm belief that the Lord will bring these things to pass for our good and for his glory. I think it's wonderful to see, again, at the end of verse 22, having considered the three points we have, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. An appropriate, godly response to adversity in his life. May we ask the Lord to give us that patience, which is necessary, that we might have that steadfast faith, which is so needed, which is so important for our lives that we might seek to live in this present age as those who are patiently waiting upon the Lord to return and to set all things right and to consider that in the midst of our present circumstances and to worship him for those things he has brought in our lives. In closing, I would like to look at Psalm 73 again as this picture of the Lord's care for his people. I want to notice um, two things here. Uh, Namely, there's this sort of uh, change in the psalmist where he has this uh, sort of um, dissonance or where you sometimes have, uh, perhaps you have, it would be very strange to uh, play a very upbeat song at a funeral. It would have some sort of dissonance or it would also be really strange to play a dirge at a birthday party, uh, that they would have this sort of dissonance. And there's this dissonance in the beginning of the psalm. And then the second point I want to highlight, uh, the, the way in which he sees, by the light of God's revelation, the sure ends of all people. Psalm 73, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, the garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness, the imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression, they speak from on high, They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, as people return to this place and waters of abundance are drunk by them, they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. The opening section we might summarize is simply saying, it doesn't seem that the way of godliness has any positive outcome in the present life. And it seems that those who do wickedness actually prosper. That they don't have pains in their death. They have all that they want in this life. They do all sorts of crime. They act with impunity, such that even the people of God say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? This is that dissonance, where it doesn't seem that things are going the way they should be. And yet, it continues on, where we see the sure end of all things, verse 17. 
until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So in conclusion, as we honestly assess the providences that come into our lives, and we conclude these things are from the hand of God and he is using them for our good, we might rightly respond that we see that the Lord is our good and we have no one besides him and that he is drawing us to himself, appointing for us himself as our portion forever, that we might respond with great joy, and that we might seek to speak truth to our neighbor and to call them even today to believe in Christ for forgiveness of sins. For apart from Christ, their end is sure, for the Lord has placed them in slippery places and cast them down to destruction. Let us look to the Lord and consider that as we find ourselves in whatever circumstances that we ask the Lord to grant us his grace, and by the Holy Spirit help us to be those who endure with patience even in adversity. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for recording for us the example of Job, the righteous man who endured. We would ask, Lord, that you would help us in all of our circumstances to look to you, As the one who has brought them to pass, we would ask, Lord, that you would help us, that you might cause us to to truly believe that these things have come from you, and all the more trust and believe that you are bringing them to the end of our salvation for the sake of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.